Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. This morning, our Brad Dansell is going to come and he's going to continue our series in the Gospel of John. And we're very fortunate to have Brad and Melissa and their family uh, with our uh, with our church. Brad works for the city of Tallahassee. He's a project manager with the gas and utilities company. And Melissa uh, works as the nursing director for the children's medical services uh, for our state, making sure that all of our foster care and at-risk kids uh, get the proper medical care. Melissa's also also heading up, we're doing a, uh, a working group on how we can better support foster care and adoption opportunities within our church, and Melissa's kind of kind of heading that uh, working group up for us, so we'll just see where that leads. They have two great kids, uh, Mason and Madison, and they're very busy, uh, have a very busy life, but they're also very busy around here, and we love this couple, and Brad is going to come. He's going to share God's word with us this morning. Would you give Brad a hand today? God bless you. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? I don't usually preach with my phone out of my pocket, but I know I'm on a time crunch this morning because uh, Pastor Brian gave me the longest chapter in the book of John. Amen. So I got all afternoon to get going into this thing. No, uh, in all seriousness, I am honored and humbled uh, to be up here to have this chance. Uh, this looks very different than the last time I was up here. I don't know if you remember, the last time I got to be up here was the Sunday right between, it was sandwiched smack dab in the middle of Christmas and New Year's. And I don't know if you remember that service, but we were online only at that point because we just, you know, with holidays and travel and everything else, we just thought it was best to just go to an online-only service for that day. And uh, so Pastor Brian called me up. He said, hey, I would love for you to preach that sermon. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I would love to. And then he says, well, then we're online only. I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this. And he says, uh, so what that means is we're going to come in here about a week or a week and a half before uh, that sermon airs, and you get to preach on the stage. And so I showed up, and there's nobody here. And I don't know how many public speaking opportunities you've had, but preaching in an empty room is very, very hard. Especially when your pastor walks in about a third of the way through and sits in that back corner right back there. And so if you go back and watch that sermon from Christmas, you'll see me about a third of the way through the rest of the sermon. I'm peeking back here like this the rest of the time. So I have to tell you, live stream group, online group, I know that there are a hundred reasons that you can't be here, and we love you. But if you are here today, you have done this preacher's heart some good, because it is going to be so much better than what happened at Christmas. Amen? So uh, we're going to dive right into this thing. As I told you, we've got 71 verses to walk through, um, so we're going to jump right in. Uh, we're continuing our series in the book of John, and uh, our theme verse, or kind of the verse that kind of has sculpted this whole thing, is John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So as Pastor Brian has kind of repeatedly stated through the course of this uh, series, this, this means 
that the book of John is more than just a historical text. It's more than just some words written on a page. That this is a, this is a textual account of what Jesus can do in your life and in my life when the Holy Spirit intercedes in us. And so we've worked our way up until chapter 6. I don't know if you're keeping tabs, but there are 21 chapters in the book of John. And I'm going to let Pastor Brian do the last 15. Uh, but chapter 1 is uh, John introducing this idea of spiritual light and darkness. Uh, chapter 2 is Jesus going to a wedding and doing his first miracle where he turns water into wine. Chapter 3, we have this discussion uh, with Nicodemus, which I, if you missed any of these weeks, they're all available online on YouTube, Facebook, through our app. I encourage you, if you only have time to watch one, go watch week 3. Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus will uh, impact you in ways that there are that few chapters in the Bible will. Uh, but j- chapter four, Jesus encounters the woman at the well. G- uh, chapter five, Pastor Josh, uh, as Pastor Brian stated, did a great job last week talking about Jesus healing the invalid at the pool. And again, all of those are available online. Um, but I'm honored to be here because I feel like I got the best chapter in the book of John. You know, Pastor Brian and I were talking about, you know, what chapter we were going to cover this week and how it was going to roll out, what he was covering, Josh was covering, I was covering, and how he was rolling. And I was hoping and praying for six, uh, but uh, when we first talked, he's like, you probably have like seven and maybe eight time together. And I'm like, please six, please six, Uh, because six is just, it's like the home run chapter in the Bible, right? And we'll see uh, in just a little bit why, but uh, again, our theme verse, the, the last part of that says, uh, that, or, or really the theme verse says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you may have life in his name. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray that you would meet us here. Lord, that as we go through your word, Lord, that we seek you in your word, uh, that we might find you in a real and tangible way. God, I pray that you would bless and honor uh, the words that are spoken today. May they come uh, straight from you to our hearts, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's this major theme that kind of plays its way through chapter 6. And uh, so, so if I had to give like a subtitle to, to t- today's message, it would be the character of Christ. The character of Christ. Because as we read through John chapter 6, uh, there's, there's these great stories of what Jesus did. And uh, you'll see in just a little bit that he kind of ties all these things together. And as we walk through those things today, I think there's some great uh, character traits of Jesus that we can pull uh, from these stories. And so they're all stories that I think we're very familiar with. Um, so I may skip around a little bit as far as uh, which verses of this I, re- I read, because again, there's 71 verses, and I don't want you to fall asleep on me this morning. But we're going to start in verse 1. Uh, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. You know, I've heard these sermons where it's like, 
sarcasm is, is bad. Sarcasm is this spirit that really, you know, can wear people down. I have to tell you, I find Jesus' sarcasm in verse 6 really entertaining. Right? Because he's like, he asks them, he's like, he, he says, well, where are we going to get bread for all these people? Yet he knows already what he's going to do. Right? And so he's asking the disciples, he said, uh, basically he's asking this, I want you to think how impossible what is about to occur is. That's what he's saying to the disciples, right? He's, I already know what's going to happen, I already know what I'm going to do, but just think, if I make them believe that this is completely impossible, that by their own power and might, and you'll see in verses uh, 7 and 8 that they start talking about taking uh, 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 half a day's wages to pay for the, all the bread. And it talks about how uh, there's not enough food in the area, right? And, and so uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of find it a little entertaining that Jesus is like, hey, what are we going to do? Even though I know what we're going to do, Right? That's kind of, we don't, we don't picture Jesus this way a lot of times, but I think uh, as we talk about the character of Christ, I think it's important for us to realize that Jesus, while fully God, was fully human. I don't know that we'll fully catch what God does and what God proclaims in, in chapter 6 if we don't fully recognize that he was fully man too. And he laughed with the disciples. He cried with the disciples. He was a little joking and sarcastic with the disciples. And so all those things that we experience, all those same questions that we have that say, I don't know, Jesus, really? Or, or, or that, that kind of shaking and shivering that we get like, Jesus, I don't know how we're going to do this. Those are all things that were very real to the disciples too. And so we see Jesus as fully man. Now, uh, what I've just read you is the first part of the feeding of the 5,000. A story that many of us, again, know very well, right? Uh, uh, the, the loaves and fish story, we'll say. And, and I'm about to get into the loaves and fish, but what, uh, it, I, this story is one of the few stories that shows up in all four Gospels. And I don't know what the theological context is of that, and I'm not going to try to sit up here and explain to you why some stories show up in all four Gospels and others only show up in that crazy guy Luke's chapter. You're like, I'm not, that's not, I don't know that I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't know that I have a theological, theological degree enough to stand up here and tell you that. But what I do know is any story that shows up in all four Gospels, to me, says that there's some significance there. If it was important enough to the disciples to remember and for all of them to remember the exact same thing and to make sure that we knew everything that happened in that moment, I would say there's some significance there. And so uh, I think the significance here as we look at this first part of this story and we look at the first character trait of Christ is that Jesus cares for us. Jesus cares for us. You see, these people were following Jesus typically for one of two reasons. Either, either they had a need that they needed met, so they had heard about Jesus, and they were sick or hurting or had whatever it was, and so they were chasing after Jesus in hopes that they could encounter this guy who heals or this guy who uh, uh, makes lame men walk or whatever it was that their issue is, right? So they were chasing Jesus for that. 
or they were chasing Jesus like groupies at a concert, like so amazed at what was going on that they just had to be a part of it. They didn't care what he did. They just had heard all these great stories and all these crazy things that were going down and were like, I need to see that for myself. So that was typically the two reasons that they were, that they were trying to follow Jesus. And so among these people, you had those two groups of people in this huge crowd, and the Bible describes them as following Jesus. Now, in this area, you know, it says Jesus goes up on the mountainside with his disciples. We have to understand that in this area, there's the Sea of Galilee, and there's like this like nine-mile stretch that wraps around the Sea of Galilee up to the mountain where Jesus was. And so when it says that these people were following Jesus, these people, in other words, were making a nine-mile journey from where they were to the mountainside where Jesus was. I don't know about you, and I don't know if you can tell by my beautiful figure up here, but the last time that I walked nine miles is like yesterday to never. Right? We're not typically like super excited about walking nine miles, but these folks heard about Jesus and they're like, we're going to see that guy. And so they start this trek and they start it pretty early in the morning and they take off. Well, I started to do some math, right? Which is, trust me, not my super strong suit, but I started to do it. I had some folks, and I coached cross country at a high school for a little while, and so I'm pretty good with like times and how long it takes. Uh, to walk a mile at a relatively you know, safe pace, it's about 20 minutes a mile, give or take, right? That means this journey would have taken them three hours to get to Jesus. You're like, oh, three-hour hike. Ask Pastor Brian and Miss Becky, what a three-hour hike in 105-degree weather is, right? Kelsey's back there shaking her head like, no, no, not again. It's like haunted nightmares. Uh, For those of you who don't get the joke, they they went to Greece, and it was like 105 degrees every day. And so uh, you can, uh, you know, they, they joke, it was so hot. And I'm like, well, we looked at all the pictures, and it was gorgeous, so we're not, we don't feel sorry for you. Um... So anyway, these people people take this three-hour trek. And what we don't notice in this passage of Scripture that we can contextually pull out is that these people would have made this trek and probably missed either breakfast or dinner, or, or breakfast or lunch, depending on exactly what time they left. In other words, they would have missed a meal to make this trek. And you guys are like, nope. Not worth it. I need my Chick-fil-A. Right? And so, and so, but these people were like, they were desperate. Either they were hurting, needed healing, or so amazed and astonished that they're like, I don't care about this food. I'm going to make this hike, and it's 130 degrees, and it's mountainous area, and it's like desert, so there's nowhere, there's no cities or anything where I can like stop off and grab me an apple or something to get me through, or a well where I can just pull up some water. Like, it was a three-hour hike in the middle of of the hot desert. It was worth something to them to get going, but, but then Jesus, who had retreated to the mountainside, saw them. And I have to wonder in this moment, he probably saw these, this huge pack of people, 
and you had like probably some kids. Actually, I know some kids because the next character in our story was a kid. And we had this, we had, you know, probably some, some older folks. We probably had some like middle-aged folks who were like carrying kids or carrying the older folks. And, and Jesus looks down and he's, and he's like, man, that's got to be rough. To make a three-hour trek in the desert in the hot sun. To skip a meal. To have very little water. And can I just say that in this moment I was struck because it was this moment that I realized just how much Jesus cared about them. Because his first question when he saw the people, the Bible says, was how are we going to feed them? How are we going to give them the nutrition they need after taking everything that they had in them to get to where I was. Jesus cared for them. You know, I'm just reminded, you know, maybe there's somebody in this room today that's kind of walking through a season where you feel completely insignificant. Or maybe you feel like God's kind of overlooked you. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're a little empty inside. Or maybe you feel like you just need a little extra push. Can I tell you that there is a God in heaven who is looking upon you that wants to give you the nourishment you need after an empty season? He cares about you. He cares about the small things. You say, oh, well, Brad, that's just breakfast or that's just lunch, and it was only three hours. Can I tell you that there is a God in heaven who cares about the little things? So the little things that eat you up, the little things that keep you up at night and wake you up early in the morning, the little things that make you bite your nails and, 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 chew, and chew on your teeth, what is that, grind your teeth, those little things are the things that Jesus cares about too. He cared about their lunch. Their lunch. But if we look back in the book of John, he cared about a, he cared about a couple at a wedding who ran out of wine. They still had water. It wasn't like anybody was going thirsty. But he didn't want them to be embarrassed. It was the little things. You see, so you see somebody who was uh, uh, forgotten by society, laying by a pool of water, just completely disregarded. And he goes up to him and he says, he doesn't even just say get up, but he says get up and take your mat with you. He cared about the, the things that this guy had gone through. And when he said get up and go, he said take it all with you so you don't ever forget because I care about the little things. And so we see a God who cares? Luke chapter 12 says that the very hairs of your head are numbered. He says, you are worth more than many sparrows. John chapter 3 says that for God so loved the world. And you know, I think sometimes we look at that passage of scripture and say, this is this overarching thing for my salvation. Or this is this big picture, he so loved the world. But can I remind you that you are a part of his world and that God so loved you, God so cared about you that he found a way to, to keep communion with you for eternity. He cares about you. Jesus also calls us. 
So he cares, but he also calls. If Philip answered to him, it would take more than half a year's wages. Another of his disciples, Andrew, he spoke up and he says, here's this boy and he's got five loaves of bread and two fish. But how far will that go? I just told you there's this huge group of people that's coming upon Jesus. And Jesus can see every one of them. He's on the mountainside. He's above them. So he can see the crowd of people coming, right? Jesus says, have them sit down and have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, <clears throat> Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And then Jesus goes back up on the mountain. You say, but how does, how, he's not calling anybody here. Can I make this point to you this morning? Jesus didn't need the little boy to do what he did. You're talking about the God in heaven who sent man, literal manna from heaven to the Israelites. Dropped bread down. Why couldn't we do that again? You're talking about a man who uh, when he called the disciples, he overflowed and flooded their boat with fish. Why couldn't he do that again? Jesus didn't need this young boy, right? He didn't need to use him. I don't know if you've seen The Chosen. Man, I'm struggling. Good night. Brent's got to turn the haze down or something. It's like in my throat. Uh, I'm sure, I don't know how many of you have seen The Chosen, which is a thematic depiction of the life of Jesus and probably the best one that I've ever seen. But their tagline is this. He says, God's not asking you to feed the 5,000. He's just asking for your loaves and fish. You see, Jesus isn't calling you to conquer the world. He's not asking you to slay Goliath. He's not asking you to knock down the walls of Jericho to heal lepers or bring salvation to those around you. Those are all his job. All he's asking you to do is provide the rock. All he's asking you to do is play the trumpet. He doesn't need you, but he calls you because he wants you to be used by him. <clears throat> and that's this boy. This boy found himself among those in a crowd. Now, I just picture this kid, like he's like standing on the side of the road one minute, and then this huge group of people come by, right? And now, those of you who are like parents to teenagers, if your teenager's standing on the side of the road, and they see like thousands of people going, you're not stopping that teenager from going with them. Like, they're jumping in, right? They're like, I'm going to go see what this is. It's like, and then they all got their iPhones out, they're like, I'm recording this, I got my video on. I'm going to see what's happening, right? And so this boy is in the same boat. He like had his lunch, his five pieces of bread and his two fish. He's like, I'm going to go see what's going on where all these people are going. 
And so he goes along. And then God took a small and seemingly insignificant boy with a small and seemingly insignificant offering and called something out of him in that moment that will forever be written in the troves of history. God didn't need him, but Jesus called him. And so my reminder to you this morning is that it doesn't matter how small and seemingly insignificant you might feel or how small or seemingly insignificant your offering might seem. But that God is calling you for your moment. Because thankfully he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us, but he calls us. You see, Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not, by my, it's not by power or might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not what I can do. It's not what I can control. It's not what strength I have. But it's what the spirit can do in me. 1 Corinthians says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the, the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in him. Can I say this this morning? Stop making God's opportunity to use you your responsibility to be used. Let God do it. Be humble, be submissive, but let God do it. You see, I think too often we get to this place where we feel like we've got to control what God is going to do with us. And in doing so, we fail to submit our loaves and our fish. We say, God's not going to do anything with my lunch. God can't do anything with this little lunch. And God goes on to make them full. That's significant. Hold on to that because we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But God goes on to make them full. So we'll go on in John chapter 6. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. You see, the third character trait of Jesus that we see in John chapter 6 is that Jesus comforts us. Jesus comforts us. You see, I think that somebody really needs this one today. Because you'll notice that the disciples were in the boat. They were about three or four miles out, right? The phrase said that Jesus had not yet joined them, which tells us that the disciples were sent out, and then they were supposed to meet Jesus at some point at, uh, on the shore 
after, they had come, after he had come back from his isolated time of prayer up in the mountain. Remember, Jesus retreated. So he retreated, he sent the disciples out, and the disciples were supposed to hang tight until Jesus got back with them, and then they were going to make their trek across the sea. And so uh, they, they were supposed to wait and not go out, but as it got later and later and darker and darker, you start to see the disciples get a little desperate. And they start to get a little nervous. Because I don't know about you, but what I've noticed is that nothing good ever seems to happen in the dark. Right? We've all seen, like, those superhero movies or those weird, like, suspense thrillers where there's, like, 12 famous people in the movie. And you're, like, an hour and a half in and you have no idea who did it. And then they just randomly, with no good reason, show up in, like, some dark back alley. Right? Every time. I don't know how they always end up there. Because if it were me, I'm running from the dark alley. But they're like, let me go check out this weird dumpster back here. Right? And then they like, whatever they see is, but nothing ever happens in the dark. And so I think the disciples are feeling the pressures of that, right? They're like, it's getting dark, Jesus. I know we're supposed to meet you, but if we're going to make it to the other side, like, we got to get going. And so they're waiting, and they're waiting, Well, then the storm comes. And the storm, I think, pushes them, because it said the winds grew strong, right? So I think, uh, based on the scripture, I think the winds kind of pushed them further than they wanted to go. At a time when they didn't want to go there. And sometimes that's how it happens. You know, sometimes we get ourselves into trouble because we make the wrong decisions, we make bad choices, and we get out into the dark, and we get out in the deep, and, and we're somewhere we're not supposed to be. But sometimes it just happens. You don't mean for it to, but you end up out there, and it's getting dark, right? And so this storm comes, and I don't know about you, but I saw some Shark Week clips last, or a couple weeks ago. Shout out to Pastor Josh. He encouraged me to watch Shark Week. I'm not a fan because I, I like to go in the ocean, and the more I watch, the less I like to go in the ocean. So after watching those clips, I'm like, I'm never, ever going into a body of water when I can't see that body of water, right? And so here's the disciples. Not a good situation. And then the storms and the waves. And then this weird thing happens where a little bit off in the distance, they have just enough light to see something coming towards them. Now you say, oh, well, it was Jesus. Can I remind you that Jesus hadn't done anything like this to this point in their ministry? So I doubt that the disciples in the middle of this storm are thinking, oh, that creepy thing that's coming towards our boat is Jesus. I think sometimes we get lost in the story and we're like, we know what happens. It was Jesus. They're fine. They were scared. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know who it was. I don't know about you. I'm not expecting some man to walk up to my boat in the middle, five, six miles off of the shore in the dark. But isn't it just like Jesus? That in the midst of the storm, when the waves are battering the boat, and chaos is ensuing. I'm sure the disciples were yelling at each other. 
I'm sure they were bickering and fighting. No, we got to go this way. We got to go get back to Jesus. Just throw the anchor down so we will live. Get under the boat. You know, all the things that would come to mind from 12 guys on a boat trying to figure out how not to die. But isn't it just like Jesus in the midst of all that to show up? And he says, don't be afraid. I don't know what stormy or chaotic season you're in. Maybe the last year and a half with all the crazy COVID stuff and quarantines and absences from work and discussions of vaccine or not vaccine or uh, a Delta variant or whatever it might be. Maybe that's got uh, some, some just uh, this level of anxiety built up in you. Or maybe you're going through a season and it's not COVID, but maybe it's you lost your job. Or maybe it's you got diagnosed with cancer. Or maybe it's you had a loved one pass away. I don't know what your circumstance is or your chaos is. But what I do know is that there is a Savior who comforts us. That in the midst of the storm, when we're rocking on the boat, Jesus is there and says, don't be afraid. It is me. It is me. John, later in his uh, book, says, I have said these things to you, this is Jesus talking, that, it me, that in me you may have peace, that in the world you will have tribula- tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome COVID. I have overcome uh, lost jobs. I had overcome cancer. I have overcome, and in Jesus, because of his overcoming, I don't have to question where my peace comes from. He comforts us. He comforts us. So we've been working with Mason on his swimming, right? And for those of you who don't know, Mason's my six-year-old boy. And uh, we've been working on him with his swimming because he goes to a summer camp where they've got a pool. So every day he gets to go swim. And at the beginning of the week, he's got to take like a swim test. And if he doesn't pass his swim test then he can't go in the deep end, and the deep end is where the water slides are. So to a six-year-old, that's like pool heaven, right? Gotta go on the water slides. Well, we found out that Mason has never taken the swim test. He just tells his teacher, I can't do it, right? And when we were working with him, he, he loves Pastor Brian and Ms. Becky's pool because the shallow end of their pool, he's tall enough to stand in. It's, not, it's like three foot instead of four foot, so he doesn't like go under when he's standing there. He's totally comfortable. Nothing is wrong. He's in control. So he loves their pool. But when dad asks him to come out to the deep end, that's not okay. When dad asks him to go to the side and jump, son, jump, I'll catch you. You won't go anywhere. Just jump. I can't do that, dad. I can't do that. And so he's got this little like life vest float thing that he wears. And even with that on, he like hesitates to go down in the deep end because he's like, I don't want to go down there because what if it doesn't work? And what if I can't do it? So he literally will just stay in the shallow end where he's safe and comfortable. So the other day, um, we, we, uh, we went swimming and Melissa was with me. We had Maddie and we're all swimming. 
And we turn around and Mason is in the shallow end, but Mason's all of a sudden swimming. And we had worked with him, but he had never gotten quite there. He never, he couldn't figure out that like your legs had to stay up so that you could kick and lay flat. And so he would always just kind of like flop over and sink. It was kind of depressing really, to be honest with you, but he could never like get there. And so it, it, we hadn't taken him in a couple months. He's just been uh, going to camp and he gets water time every day. And we took him for the first time in a little while the other day and we were shocked at his progress. That he had spent enough time at camp and around other kids and all of that, that he was swimming. And we said, well, go over there and do a little swim test for us and see if you could pass your swim test at school. And so we got to the steps and he swam all the way across and he was swimming. And he was so funny because he didn't realize that when you came up out of the water, you could breathe. So he would try to hold his breath the entire distance. We're like, Mason, you're going to pass out. <laughs> breathe, son breathe but he went after mega sports camp he went with the group of mega sports camp kids out to pastor brian's pool when they had their party out there and I, because you know peer pressure is a real thing and all the other kids were jumping off the diving board and so mason put his floaty thing on and he started jumping off the diving board and so when we took him just the other day he's like well look what i can do i can jump off the diving board and so he's showing us he can jump, he can jump, he's got his little floaty on. So then he goes back to swimming in the shallow end, and when he goes to the shallow end, he takes his floaty off. Well, then he goes back to jump in the, uh, off the diving board. And he gets up there, and he jumps. And I was off, I was actually taking uh, Maddie to the potty, because she's getting potty trained, amen, hallelujah. And uh, no more diapers. But Melissa tells me he got about halfway in the air and she has this like parental panic moment. For you parents in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It takes the breath out of your lungs and you're like, <gasps> but it's already happening so there's absolutely nothing you can do about it because about halfway of him jumping off the diving board, she realizes he's got no life vest on. And here he is, we're still like trying to figure out if he's going to be able to do it and he goes in and he kind of sinks and then he comes up and he floats and he swims to the side and we're like hey you did it and Melissa's like when did you realize you didn't have your floaty on and Mason says when I couldn't come back up <laughs> but isn't that what we do with Jesus is we say I can't do that I'm not gonna do that Unless I have the comfort or the safety of my vest on, I'm not even going down there. And God, you may have greater things for me. Do you know that Mason spent the next hour jumping off the diving board and swimming to the side of the pool? And jumping off the diving board and swimming to the side of the pool. Because there was something greater that he discovered because he didn't care anymore about the fear that was keeping him back. He said, forget that mess. I'm jumping in both feet full on, because I know that I can do it. And with God, there's something special that happens when we get way down in our spirit that says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I am He. There's something special that happens when we begin to dive into the deep end of what Jesus has for us because we're no longer concerned with the fear that's controlling us. He wasn't afraid. 
So I'm going to try to land this thing real quick. Because this is where it gets really good. John chapter 6, it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get there? So at this point, the, he's calmed the storm. The disciples and Jesus were on the boat. They made it to the other side. And so now these people, as Jesus is trying to retreat, is now back around the other side. So this huge crowd that had just been made full has followed Jesus back around the sea Again, nine-mile trek in the hot, desert, mountainous land to go find Jesus. Because they didn't get enough the first time. And so they find him and they said, Rabbi, when would you get here? We've been looking all over for you. We've been really, like, looking for you. Because you have what we need. And Jesus' answer to them is, Again, very powerful. He says, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do To do the works God requires, Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one that he has sent. This isn't in my notes. This is extra for you today. Don't overcomplicate the power of God. Don't overcomplicate it. There's nothing that you can do There's not more that you can try. I'm not saying don't pray harder. I'm not saying don't fast longer. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do. But can I tell you that those things are not going to bring to you fulfillment and sufficiency without the power of Jesus. That's why we pray. That's why we fast. That's why we worship, because it is an opportunity for us to encounter the one that we believe in. Don't overcomplicate the power of Christ. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Some hangry folks. Some hangry folks. They just got fed on the other side, and now they want more. You ever been like at like a work function or something where there's like a buffet line? And you always kind of hesitate to go first because you're like, oh, if I'm at the end, I can get as much as, you, as much as I want. Even though you know if you go first, you're still going to get as much as you want. See? So then you go first anyway, right? And you always get enough, right? In those instances. It's very rare that you go up there and you're like scooping, you're scooping food on your plate, right? You got like whatever it is, whatever, I don't know, mac and cheese, Josh Core, And, uh, you know, you're just scooping and scooping and scooping, right? 
You always get enough. But then you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I'm stuffed, right? But there's still people in line. And you're like, oh, I could totally go for some more. Not because you want more, but because there's other people getting more. And you're like, I want some more of that because it looks good, not because I can fit it in my gut, but because they're getting some. That's what I picture these people like, right? Like, they're like, okay, Jesus, you gave me enough. But enough wasn't really enough. I don't really need more, but I need more, right? And that's what they're doing to Jesus. And Jesus is like, time out. Jesus is like, time out. He says, you got your fill. He says, you got your fill. Which means they probably had more than enough. They probably had more than they could handle. They were more than content in that moment. So they chased, but they, yet they still chased him down and wanted more. And Jesus replies, you only want me for what I can do for you. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now, I can't say that I blame them, right? Because I have to believe those are the best barley loaves that they ever had. And that was probably the best fish, the most meaty fish they've ever eaten. You're like, Brad, where is that in the Bible? I, I can't prove that. Other than that, when he did it at the wedding with the wine, they said, you saved the best for last. And I know that Jesus only makes good and perfect things. So I'm inclined to believe, it doesn't say it, but I'm inclined to believe that those were the best loaves of bread and the best fish those people had ever eaten. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to be will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe me. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. And here's the catch. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. You want to know the character of Christ? It's that he changes us. He changes everything. You see, the old circumstance was that uh, we had to continually uh, give sacrifices to God. And then there were instances that those weren't good enough. And so not everybody had this opportunity to come before God. And Jesus says, I know that you're full. I know that you've been made content with the best bread that you've ever eaten. But let me do you one better and say, I am the best bread that you could ever have because in me, it changes everything. You have eternal life because I am the bread. It doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. You believe in me 
And my Father's will is that you will become His son or His daughter because I give everlasting life. I bring contentment and fulfillment and there's nothing better. There's nothing better. So you think chasing me nine miles for the best bread that you've ever had is something. Let me show you one better. I am the bread of life. Jesus changes everything. You see, he's, he's, he's proclaiming in this very moment of being who the Old Testament says he was going to be. He is proclaiming to be the Messiah. You see, bread does some things. Bread nourishes and sustains. Bread satisfies and energizes. Bread creates a desire for more. Bread is partaken on a regular basis. I don't know about you, I live in a house, or lived in a house, my wife is trying to not do this anymore, but I didn't grow up this way, but now I'm that way. Like, I don't know about you, I gotta have like a roll, or like if we're doing Italian, it's gotta be like that good garlic toast with the cheese on top. Like, I don't know about you, but there's gotta be bread at every meal, right? You can't put rolls too big on my cheeseburger. Like, there's something special about bread. But there's something more special when you start talking about the bread of life. There's something more special about the sustaining power and the nourishing power that the Spirit of God brings. That it doesn't matter what I'm walking through. It doesn't matter what I'm facing. But it sustains me. Well, you want to talk about him comforting us and bringing peace. That peace is sustained because of him being the bread of life. You see, we no longer have to long for the things of this world, but can be lifted up by the supplication of what Christ brings to us through his fulfillment as the bread of life. He not only changes us, but he changes eternity in us. And worship team, you can come, and I'm going to land this thing. You see, he changes the story. You see, we're no longer bound by sin and darkness and eternal separation for which we deserve, right? I was reminded of that the other day. I don't know, I guess I just never thought about it this way. I always think of like Noah building the ark and him being set apart because he was Noah and he was obedient to God. And we were going through this devotional with Mason and the, the text was like, Noah deserved to be in the flood too. I'm like, wait a second, but he was picked out by God. God used him, and God did use him. But what did Noah deserve? The same thing everybody else did. But the bread of life, he came that we might have life and to have life abundantly. And so he uses us, he calls us, he cares for us, he comforts us in our pain, and he changes everything because he is the bread of life of life. You see, he changes the story. And then we skip all the way down to verse 60, and this is where it gets 
really interesting. So, uh, you know, Jesus goes on to tell them from like 53 to like almost 60, he's like, He's like, I am the bread, and my bread is the flesh, and uh, I drink the blood, and he goes through the whole, like, communion thing without going through the whole communion thing, and um, basically saying, find your dependency in me. Now, he goes on to have this same situation with the disciples uh, chapters later, right? Ch- chapters later, he, f- he has this moment with the disciples in the upper room where he's like, I am the bread, take this cup, you know, all that good stuff. And uh, that's a whole nother sermon that I don't have time to preach today. And uh, but then here he goes on. And it says on hearing it, many of the disciples say, this is a hard teaching. They say, this might be too much. And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? says the spirit gives life the flesh counts for nothing the words i have spoken to you they are full of spirit and life yet there are some of you who do not believe for jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him he went on to say this is why i told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled him from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him Here's what I know, and this is heartbreaking and gut-wrenching all at the same time. Being a follower of Jesus is not easy. Is not easy. And I'm about to read the next passage of this script or the next part of this scripture that'll say it's worth it. But can I tell you, if you are at a place in your relationship with Jesus where you're just like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's not. Can I tell you that you're not alone in that feeling? And that some questioning, and I'm going to take a liberty here, but some questioning is okay. But don't give up. Don't lose faith. I don't know the circumstances that were surrounding these people that walked away. I don't know what made it easy for them to say, I've seen all this, I've witnessed all this, I got my fill, and you know what? Still not for me. Because what it meant was, it meant giving up some things. It meant risking death. Because they would leave, the, they would leave Jesus, right, in, that te- in the area where he was teaching, and they would go back home, And there would be all kinds of adversaries that they would face back wherever they were coming from. Because they would now be known as a follower or disciple of Jesus. And so whatever those circumstances were wasn't good, wasn't strong enough to pull them and say, the bread of life is what will sustain me. But I love the 12 disciples response here. He says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, take a liberty here. Where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? He says, you have the words of eternal life. 
we have come to believe and to know through all of the experience, through all of the miracles, through spending some close, intimate time with me, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus looks at him, and I love this moment, and I just, I, I kind of got emotional in this moment. As I studied this, man, I just pictured myself as one of the 12. And Jesus sitting right in front of me after all these people leave, and it's, you're starting, you get these questions going through your mind like should I follow them and just walk like this is too much I can't take this like he's asking me to give up everything and he looks at the 12 his closest brothers and he looks them in the face and he says I've chosen you I've chosen you You want to know what my favorite character of Christ is? He chose me. He chose me. And he chose you. The Bible says that before you were ever a thought, he knew you. He knew the intricate workings of you. He knows he knew what made you tick. He knows what makes you upset. He knows what you've done that makes you feel not good enough. He knows the fear that you have of what you're going to do. And he looked at the disciples. He even went on to say, even though one of you is the devil, or a devil, I'm sorry. Even though one of you is a devil, he looks at Judas, knowing that Judas is going to betray him. And he says, I have chosen you. And can I tell you this morning, that there has been too many times in my life where the fear of what I was going to do has held me captive to the things that, want, that Jesus wanted to do in me. Even though he was standing, looking me in the face, saying, I don't care what you're going to do. I chose you. I chose you. I can't imagine the weight that Judas, that Judas felt in that moment. Because I don't think Judas knew at that point in the ministry that he was going to betray Jesus. I don't think Judas was like sitting around like, yeah, I'm waiting for my chance. I don't think that was Judas at all. But I think there were some circumstances that started to play in every one of the 12's mind. And yet Jesus chose them. He knew you and chose you. If you'd stand with me this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know what brings you here to Generations Church today. Or maybe I do, but I don't know the circumstances that are surrounding you when you walk out of these doors. I don't know where you're at joining us on live stream today. 
But here's what I know. That there is a God in heaven who cares for you. He calls you. He comforts you. He changes you. And he chooses you. And so this morning, maybe you're walking through some situations or some circumstances. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're just like, I've been afraid for a long time and I just need God to come calm the storm in my chaos. Or maybe, maybe you're walking through a season where you just need to know that Jesus cares about you, that he's holding you in his hand. That like a father with his son, he's got his arms wrapped around you. Or maybe you've been wandering and questioning a little bit. And this reminder that Jesus chose you by sending his son to be fully God and fully man. To die on a cross that you and I don't have to pay the penalty that we deserve. But that we can spend eternal life with him thanks to him being the, the sufficiency as the bread of life. I don't know where you're at this morning, but if that's you, we want to pray with you. And we're fixing to sing a song, and we're going to pray with you. So if that's you today, I just want to know who we're praying with, and if you'd slide your hand up in the air. If you're joining us on live stream, you can type your need or just put the little hand-raising emoji in the comments or in the uh, chat feed. Our moderators are there. But here's what I know. It doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what you've been through. Jesus didn't ask any of those people in any of these stories what their background was. He just said, come here, I've got something better. Every time it was, come here, I've got something better. So God, we pray this morning. We pray for those that raised their hands. And Lord, even those that didn't but are feeling that tug in their heart that says, uh, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. I thank you, God, for caring about us. I thank you for your comfort, God the peace that surpasses all understanding God. I thank you for choosing us. Lord, I thank you that all it takes is a belief in your name and a proclamation of my heart that says you came and you died and you rose again. And in that, Lord, I can be saved and spend eternity with you because you came as the bread of life. So God, I pray, I pray that you would meet us right where we're at, God. The tug on our hearts right now, God, would be one that would draw us closer to you. That would be one that would uh, have us submit ourselves fully to you, God. That whatever the need is or the circumstance or whatever the season is that we're walking through, God, whatever the call might be, Lord, I thank you for courage and bravery to walk out our faith, to sit before you and say, Lord, where else do we have to go? Lord, I thank you for what you want to do in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives today, God. 
I pray that you would send us out filled with your spirit. Lord, full of your anointing and full of your presence, God. That we may draw near to you even as we walk out of these doors or turn our screens off, God. So Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you give God a hand clap of praise as Pastor Brian comes? Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.